invite you to turn with us again in God's Word to the book of Ephesians. If you're here for the first time or just recently, we have been going through a study of Ephesians for a number of months now, and we've come to Ephesians chapter 5 and looking at um, Paul's uh, instructions and how God's grace, which has been poured out to us in Christ, which has united us together, not only with God, but with one another in the church, uh, is lived out, uh, particularly in those relationships within the household, uh, relationships of, of husband and wife and, and parents and children, and, and in that day, and uh, even among slaves and masters, and, and what we might call in our uh, other authoritative relationships of work. So we're uh, continuing along that line in Ephesians chapter 5. And if you'll read with me or read, listen along with me as I read from God's Word, um, chapter 5, verses 22, beginning in verse 22. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. For he who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. And therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound. And I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Let's pray together. Lord, would the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. Would you speak boldly to us this morning? And would you give us ears to hear and hearts to believe and wills to follow the way of righteousness which you have laid out for us and secured in us through your Son, Jesus Christ. We pray this in His name. Amen. So the past, for the past couple of weeks, we have parked here in our study of Ephesians to consider Paul's teaching on how the, the transforming grace of God in Christ impacts that primary relationship within the family, that of the husband and wife in the covenant bond of marriage. And the fact that so many of you have returned for a third week on this passage is both encouraging to me and I hope a blessing to each of you. Because it has often generated much controversy over time and particularly in our current culture. And so it is good to have you back. Of course, it remains to be seen how many of you will return next week after today's message. But we began two weeks ago by looking at what Paul calls the mystery of marriage. That, namely, that marriage was created, it was designed by God from the very beginning for the purpose of ultimately displaying the, the covenant bond and relationship 
that between God and His people that is established through Jesus Christ, the bridegroom, and His sacrificial and sanctifying love for His church, His bride. And that's the ultimate purpose of marriage, to be a a picture, to be a a living parable of sorts of the gospel of Jesus Christ lived out and and on display in this, this one flesh union between a husband and a wife created in God's image. And then we saw last week that there's a a harmony in marriage that is rooted and and patterned on God's grace, first poured into us by the filling of the Spirit, and then channeled through us in in a mutual encouragement and, and worship together, and loving, serving, caring submission to one another. So that the foundation for a godly marriage is first of all resting and trusting in God's grace to us finding our identity in Christ, and then living out that grace and the power of His Spirit in our bond as husbands and wives. And we noted that this mutual submission, this living out of that grace in marriage, does not nullify or negate the reality that God has established certain distinct callings for husbands and for wives within that marriage relationship. The husband in this passage, is compared to Christ, the head of His church. And the wife is compared to the church, the body of Christ. And the husband is called to loving leadership, and the wife is called to to willing and eager submission in that relationship. And we noted that, that these roles do not denote any sense of inferiority or superiority of one person over another. But rather, they are, they are designed by God for the purpose of bringing about a, a God-glorifying harmony and unity and mutual love and purpose in fulfilling God's plan for life together. And so it's important for us, even as we come again today to this, that we have this foundation to understand God's vision for marriage from His Word and to experience His provision for marriage through His grace in Christ and rely on on His power in marriage through the indwelling of His Spirit in our lives. And it's when these are in place and we have that that understanding and that foundation that we can then eagerly and excitedly pursue God's calling in our marriage as husbands to love, to loving Christ-like leadership and as wives to beautiful church-like submission. And today we're going to look more in detail at what what that looks like in terms of, of what I'm calling the ministry of marriage, a calling to, to serve one another in those distinct roles and callings that God has ordained within the bonds of marriage. And even though Paul addresses wives first in this passage, I want to begin with his instruction to husbands. Because Christ, on whom the, the husband's headship and leadership is patterned, was the initiator in the relationship with his bride, the church. He took the initiative. He pursued us. And in that pursuit, He won our hearts and created in us a desire and an inclination to submit and follow His loving leadership. So I want to speak first to to that role of husbands, of loving leadership that we are called to with the hope that in pursuing that role with with Christ-like love and grace, we will too create an environment in which our wives are inclined and desire to to support and encourage and follow that lead with eager joy before we look at what that support and that submission looks like for wives. So first off, we need to understand that the call to the husband is called to loving leadership. 
Paul says, the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body. We talk about headship in this way, in this regard. It is a call to leadership. Ephesians 1.22 says that God put all things under Christ's feet and gave him as a head over all things for the church, which is his body. Christ's headship over all things for the church means he, he has authority. He is her leader. And likewise, the husband's calling as head of his wife is a, a call to leadership under and with the authority given by God to him in Christ. And men, we need to recognize and, and humbly receive that truth that we are called by God to take primary responsibility to lead in our marriages and in our families. And this again is, is reflected in God's design, original design. Even though Eve, the, the first woman, was deceived by the serpent in the garden and took the fruit and ate it, when God came looking for them as they hid together in the garden, who did He look for? He said in Genesis 3, the Lord called to the man and said to him, Where are you? Not that the woman was innocent, but the primary responsibility, the primary accountability rested with the man. And, and whether he acts like it or not, the husband is called to be the head of the family. And the problem is that in too many cases, husbands and fathers have either abused or abandoned that responsibility. Too many times we have too easily bought into the, the cultural characterization of men as either being domineering despots over their family or being detached delinquents in even partaking of any kind of leadership in their family. And neither of those reflect the, the sacrificial, courageous, loving authority and leadership to which God calls and for which He equips husbands. It is discouraging and even destructive when a husband either abuses or neglects his calling to lead and love his family. And it is also very attractive and, and inspiring and honorable and worthy of admiration when a man humbly and yet boldly accepts and pursues that call to lead and to love his wife and family as Christ does the church. It's a high calling, brothers, and it is a hard calling. But it is a holy calling that is carried out by the grace of Christ in the power of God's Spirit. And what does that look like? Paul puts it pretty generally. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. We could go a lot of places with that. And there are many ways to characterize and describe what that Christ-like loving leadership and looks like. And it's important to note that the Bible doesn't give us a specific list of, of duties or responsibilities in detail. But let me touch on three general areas that I think reflect this Christ-like love of husbands to wives. Loving your wife as Christ loved the church means to pursue, to protect, and to provide. Christ pursued the church by coming for her and identifying with her. Christ protected His church by giving Himself up for her, by laying down His life to redeem her. And Christ provides for His church by sanctifying her, serving her, nourishing and cherishing her, and seeking what is for her best and His glory. So men, we are to love our wives with a pursuing, protecting, providing love. 
Let me just touch on each of those for a minute. Pursuing in love. To pursue is to move towards. It's to, to seek out, to go after, as we, some of us heard in, in VBS this week when we talked about God's grace pursuing us. To love like Christ means we must know Christ's love. And a husband's pursuing love for his wife begins with his pursuing love for Christ in his own life. You can only grow in your loving pursuit of your wife as you grow in loving pursuit of your Savior. And Christ's love for His bride, for His church, it flowed out of the, the Father's love for His Son. Jesus said in, uh, in John 13, I have loved, John 16, that I have loved them with the love with which you have loved me. And husbands, Christ-like love for our wives will flow from God the Father's love for us in Christ. So if we are not soaking in God's love, if we are not drinking in God's truth, if we aren't pursuing Christ's grace and, and fighting the battles of faith in our own souls, then we cannot possibly lead in that love and truth and grace in our marriages or in our families. And so Christ-like love and leadership begins with a heart and a life that is, is pursuing Christ Himself. And so that pursuing love begins with pursuing God, but it also involves pursuing our wives, pursuing a knowledge and an understanding of who they are. Peter, in his very similar instructions to husbands and wives in, in 1 Peter chapter 3, says, Husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. Literally, live with them according to knowledge. And Jesus pursued us in love by coming down to earth, by, by living with us, to, by seeking to, to know us and to understand us and walk in our shoes. And, and He experienced the same struggles and trials of life. He understood and identified with those He came to die for. Now brothers, I know we can't incarnate ourselves as our wives, but we can seek to know and to understand her in order to love and to serve her? What are her likes and dislikes? What are the strengths that she has and the weaknesses that she struggles with? What are the things that make her feel loved and cherished? What needs does she have? What issues does she deal with day in and day out? What are her dreams, her fears, her hopes? Husbands, do you, do you know those things? Do you spend time pursuing those things. Jesus spent time with His bride. He pursued knowing and understanding her. And those things may change over time. So it's, a, it's an ongoing pursuit. Pursuing love means pursuing God and pursuing our wives. And it also means pursuing reconciliation. Christ loved us in that while we were sinners, He died for us. Jesus didn't wait for us to say we were sorry before He pursued us in reconciliation. He takes the initiative. When Peter denied Him three times, Jesus didn't wait around in silence for Peter to come begging forgiveness. No, He called Him to Himself. And He initiated that reconciling love and grace. And so brothers, as we love our wives like Christ loved the church, when you and your wife disagree or you have, you have sinned against her or she has even sinned against you, are you the one to initiate? Are you the one to pursue reconciliation? To not let the sun go down on your anger, but to, 
to, to remove that bitterness or unforgiveness in conflict. To lead and to love like Christ is to pursue our wives in reconciliation where we have differences. So to love like Christ means to pursue, but it also means to protect. Paul says Christ loved the church and gave Himself up for her. He laid down His life for her in order to protect her from the penalty and punishment of sin. And likewise, husbands, we love and protect and lead like Christ by sacrificing ourselves for our wives, protecting her. Even if, even if it means putting aside our, our own rights and prerogatives as we, as we heard earlier from Philippians 2 and, and laying down our own lives. And certainly that means physical protection. I don't think there are many of us, hopefully there are not any of us here as men who if we were walking down the street and with your wife and suddenly a, a, a mugger jumped out and said, give me your purse and, and your wallet and, and, and everything on you, hopefully none of us would jump behind our wife and say, go ahead, honey, you take care of him. Even if she were stronger, even if she were more capable of actually taking care of that threat, hopefully most of us men would say that in the face of physical life-threatening danger, we would seek to protect our wives, protect our families, even at the cost of our own lives. And so it should be. But what about other means of protection? Protecting means more than just keeping from physical harm. It means being aware and, and on guard of those things which would threaten our, our wives or our families physically, emotionally, spiritually. Things that are not in the best interest of our wives. What about when your wife has a conflict with someone else in your family? Say, your parents. Whose side are you quick to take? What about when she comes and asks you about taking on another responsibility at work or volunteering for another activity? Do you, do you take time to, to sit down with her and talk and pray through those things and, and look at all she's doing and help her think through those priorities to see if it really is best for her. And certainly there is spiritual protection that we are to give. That begins with praying for and with our wives. We need to pray for God's protection over them and over our families. Not only do we need to pray, but we need to, to lead in, in loving and living according to God's Word. What does it mean to look like to walk in righteousness in our lives and in our homes and in our marriages what do we watch what do we listen to what do we let into our homes and lives man we don't just make these decisions on our own we need to involve and include and and talk through them with our wives but they need to see that we care that we recognize those dangers so much that so much in our culture would present to our families wives and our children will follow a husband and a father who is principled and sets standards and is, is willing to explain and encourage them and why these are important. And so it's a pursuing love, a protecting love. But loving like Christ is also a providing love. Again, there is both a physical and spiritual element in this provision. Husbands, love your wives as your own bodies. After all, whoever hated his own body but feeds it and cares for it just as Christ does the church. I don't know about you, and when my body is hungry, I go find food. <laughs> when my body is hurting, I, I provide some relief for it. 
When it's cold, I get a blanket and make it warm. Men, are we, to lo- we are to love our wives with that same providing, caring love. And again, they may play a key part in that provision in our relationship and in our families. Indeed, they do. But we bear the primary responsibility for making sure it happens. And it also means spiritual provision. Jesus not only sacrificed for His bride, but, but Paul tells us He sanctifies her, washing her with with uh, the washing of water through the Word, eager to present her spotless and blameless, a radiant bride. To love our wives like Christ is to desire to see her grow in beauty and holiness and godliness. To do all we can to help her flourish and, and, and see the fruit of the Spirit blossoming in her life, which means we take responsibility and provide time for those things to happen. We gather our, our wives in prayer and, and, and lead them in reading the Word. Call it family worship, family devotions, time in the Word and prayer. Whatever it is, husbands are to, to call to lead and feed our families in God's Word and to, and to gather them for worship. Now oftentimes, our wives are already better than this that we are, if we're honest, men. <laughs> But that doesn't mean we cede that responsibility. We are the shepherds of our family flock and God calls us to love our wives and as we'll see next week, our children to, by leading them to the Word and in worship. Taking time to read Scripture and praying together at meal or before bed is loving your wife as Christ loved the church. I can always tell, I've said this before, I can always tell when there's tension in the relationship between Kathy and me or we're, we're going through a rough patch in our marriage. I can always, almost always trace it back to our time together in prayer, our time together in the Word being, you know, not being present or being put off in some fashion. Pursue, protect, and provide. Husbands, love and lead your wife as Christ loves and leads the church. So that's the calling for husbands. And now let's look at the calling for wives, that of what I've termed beautiful submission. I haven't left much time for the instructions to wives, but Paul puts it simply, wives submit to your husbands as to the Lord. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. A couple of points to make here. First, this is a call to a unique specific type of submission in a particular relationship. It does not say women submit to men. It does not say all wives are to submit to all husbands. Wives are to submit to your own husbands in a way that is unique, that is proper, that is different than than what you are called to the way you are called to live in other relationships. And this submission is part of that that unique one flesh unity and bond that God calls us to in marriage. And then Paul qualifies that submission saying, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. And this doesn't mean you submit to your husbands as Lord. Your husband is not Jesus Christ and Paul is not calling wives to put their husbands in place of Christ. The wife's first allegiance and primary authority is found in her submission to the Lord Jesus, just as the husband's is. 
In her submission to her husband's God-granted authority as head is in keeping with her, her reverence, her allegiance, her devotion to Christ as her ultimate authority and head. A wife's submission to her husband is not to flow out of reluctant, duty-bound or obedience. That is not what is being called for here. But out of a love and service to the Lord Jesus whose authority is, is represented but not replaced by her husband. I make that point because we need to understand this call as a, as a unique submission to a specific per- person for a specific purpose as an extension of an allegiance and a, and a following and, and submission to the Lord Jesus Christ for God's glory. A wife submits to the divine will and purpose and plan of God by putting herself, and that's what the word submission means, to, to voluntarily, willingly put oneself under the leadership and authority of her husband in marriage. So it's a a calling from God. It's a beautiful calling that's rooted first in the grace and hope that is found in Christ as our ultimate loving head. So what does this godly, beautiful submission look like day to day? Let me first say again what it does not look like. It does not in any way suggest, as I mentioned earlier, uh, an inequality or an inferiority with regard to identity or personhood. God made man, male and female. He created them in His image. And Christ came to redeem by His grace that image in us so that in Christ there is neither Jew nor Greek, male nor female, slave nor free. Husband and wife are both divine image bearers, precious possessions and objects of the Father's love. In Christ, we are all equally clothed in His righteousness, equally gifted by His Spirit, equally called to follow and trust Him alone. There's no distinction in terms of God's love for us in Christ and His purpose for us in this calling of husbands and wives. Neither does godly submission suggest a slavish, unthinking obedience The wife's calling to submit to her husband does not mean agreeing with everything he says or does. Ladies, nod your head. (laughs) It does not mean that you check your brains at the door and don't leave any input or or have any say in what goes on in your home or marriage. It does not mean that you simply sit back and do whatever you're told. And it certainly does not mean following your husband into sin or actions that go against the will of your Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Jesus did not come to oppress His bride. He came to elevate her, to free her, to make her, as it says in here, all that she was intended to be without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. And so... Even here, the calling to willing, eager, loving submission is countercultural to the, the enforced servile status that wives were relegated to prior to Christianity's influence. So while submission involves obedience to the God-ordained authority of a husband, it's not a forced servile obedience, but a voluntary submission that seeks to serve and seeks the best interest of one's husband in his calling. So you may have different thoughts and opinions on things than your husband. You may have better insight or experience or gifts in some areas than he does. You may question his reasoning on something or challenge his sinful behavior in some area 
or desire to help him change, those things are not counter to loving submission. Indeed, there are many times when I am thankful for my wife and the way that she sees red flags in some sometimes really stupid decisions I'm about to make. She sees things that I don't or has a perspective sometimes that I miss. And so it's helpful when she comes and she says, you know what, I've thought about this a lot and, and, and I really don't have a peace of mind about it and I want us to discuss it a little bit more. I'll go with whatever you decide, but I just want to be sure you, you hear, hear what I have to say on this. And usually what she has to say is spot on. <laughs> Wives, you live for Christ and glorify God in your marriage when you approach those things with a, with a, a submissive heart and a, a servant spirit, seeking not to judge or condemn or control, but show your love and desire to see your husband flourish in his, his role within the home and, and in his God-given leadership, just as he, is, he should love and seek to see you flourish in your calling as a wife. I found John Piper's definition of a, a wife's godly submission very helpful. He says it's the disposition to follow, the inclination to yield to a husband's responsibility to lead in the home and to honor and affirm that leadership by helping him carry it out according to the gifts which God has given you. It's being able to say both with your words and with your actions, I love you, I respect you, I want to loving, I want you to lovingly lead and take responsibility for the, for the spiritual and physical well-being of our family. And I'm eager to submit and respond joyfully to that leadership for God's glory. And again, Peter, in, instructing, in instructions for his wife's godly submission to her husband, points to the, to the sanctifying nature of, of that very thing when he, says, um, when he says that such an approach, through such an approach... Wives submitting themselves to their husbands, even husbands that do not believe Christ and His Word may be won over by seeing this pure and reverent behavior for the Lord in their wives. Think about that. There must be something beautiful, something powerful, something spirit-driven and, and supernaturally drawing about a wife's godly submission that God would use it to even win over Unbelieving husbands. It's true. I've seen it happen. And if that can have, if it can have that effect on unbelieving husbands, think about the impact it has in a marriage where the husband too is rooted and growing and leading in the grace of Christ. It's a beautiful thing. Now I know that for both husbands and wives here, and even for those who perhaps are not married, who may be will be, will be one day. It's easy to leave a message like this with an overwhelming sense of inadequacy or perhaps a burden of guilt or failure or even maybe a bit of resistance to something that has been a source of pain or seen or used wrongly in some way. It's inevitable that we will feel the weight and tremble at the responsibility given to us in our callings as husbands and wives. And just be assured that because of sin, there's no such thing as a perfect marriage. There's not one in this room. I've never seen one in this world. Even the most Christ-like husband and wife that you know or that you've met faces repeated struggles, repeated failures in living out our callings together. 
But that's exactly what God is doing in our marriages. That's exactly what He's doing through His grace to all of us in Christ as our great bridegroom to His bride. He is sanctifying us. He is showing forth in us His love and His grace in Christ. And He provides that grace. He provides that strength. He provides that wisdom and power that we need as husbands and as wives to carry out that calling that He has given to us. And so I do not want anyone here today leaving with an overbearing sense of guilt, but with gratitude to Christ because He loves you in this way. He loves you in this way. And He came to lay down His life for His bride. And He seeks to provide and protect you as you seek to to love your wives as Christ loved the church and submit to your husbands as unto the Lord. Again, marriage is designed to be that picture of Christ's love for His church. To be the union of the head with His body, the bridegroom with His bride. And we portray that picture as it was designed to be and as God desires for it to be well when we live out God's calling as husbands to loving leadership and wives to beautiful submission. We do it by God's grace. We do it for God's glory. And we do it for our own, our own sanctification and joy. And we all know what it's like when it doesn't look right. We all know the harmony and the, and, and the love that's there when it does. And so may we as Christ's bride be filled with the Spirit, overflowing in joy, and thanksgiving, and in mutual submission together, and loving service to one another, where God calls us to union as husband and wife in marriage, let us encourage and pursue this ministry of marriage as husbands who lovingly lead and wives who beautifully submit together as God has called us. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank You and praise You And give you all the glory. For you, Jesus, have pursued us. A rebellious, adulterous, wandering bride. And you have redeemed us. And you have called us to yourself. And you are indeed at work sanctifying us. Through your word, by your spirit making us more and more into the radiant, spotless bride without wrinkle or blemish that will be presented to you one day when you return to gather us in. And Lord, we desire our marriages to reflect that beautiful love and grace and harmony that you designed it for. And so, Father, I pray that you would equip every husband, every wife here this morning, every future husband and wife here this morning, everyone, Lord, who has experienced pain and hardship in their marriage, Lord, would you equip us to pursue you, to live in reverence and honor and submission to you, To submit to one another in a way that that seeks what is best and what is right and what is good in our lives together as husband and wife. And to do that in the callings you have for us 
to lovingly lead as husbands and to willingly submit as wives. And Father, would that bring you glory? Would that bring joy into our lives and into our homes? And would it bring many others to seek your love and your grace in Christ Jesus as they see it lived out together? And Lord, we thank you and praise you that you are our King. You are our Lord. You are our husband. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.